my cousin she was like I wish you can build a website for me and I was like oh, I don't know any of those things and so I was like okay let me see I quickly searched how do you make a website and then I just thought it was a perfect thing to do and I jumped straight in and started my first course with free code camp Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful developers about their advice on how to learn to code and get your first junior developer job. I'm Alex and today I'm joined by Trisha Katz from South Africa. Trisha is a developer who was studying computing at college but dropped out because she didn't feel like she was getting good value for money compared to online resources and then went on to teach herself to code well enough that she got a job as a developer. Before that, Trisha wanted to be a pharmacist but it never really grabbed her like designing and creating things did. Trisha used to make advanced PowerPoints for fun. From there, it was only a short step to the world of coding but of course there was so much to learn to get to that hireable level and get a job. Don't worry though, because in this episode, you're going to learn from Trisha how she learned to code, how she got the job, her advice, and the mistakes that she made, as we always do on this inevitably windy path towards becoming a junior developer so that you can avoid them. You are listening to the Scrimba podcast. Let's get into it. My father has always thought that it would be great for me to start, you know, getting a career in IT. But I've always had passion about something else. So it's something I never really intended to do in the first place. It just happened that I decided that this would be a great thing to pursue. Did you come at it from the angle of your career or was it more of like a hobby that you then realized ah, cool, I can get a job doing the thing I enjoy doing. It's more of a career. And also looking into the South African economy, it's in high demand. And so I thought it would make sense that I pursue a career in IT. Yeah, right on. I mean, so many people say that you have to be passionate about coding. And I'm sure there are parts of it you really, really enjoy. But it doesn't have to be your whole life. It doesn't have to be something you live and breathe necessarily. It can just be a really awesome career where you show up, do a great job. Maybe you do it outside of work. That's not the point so much. It's just that you come at it from that perspective of having a good career. Yes, definitely. And you are someone who's part of Tech Twitter. And a lot of times I've seen people post that you have to be passionate about coding or being a programmer so that you can be great at it. And it's not always the point. Passion does not equal ability to do a great job. Maybe you can take us back to around the time you wrote your first lines of code. What's the story there? Like, how did you specifically get started coding? I finished high school in 2019 and then 2020 was my first year in college. So I was studying for a diploma in IT for three years. But before I actually applied to study IT, I initially wanted to be a pharmacist or someone who works in medicine, basically. And I didn't get that because my maths marks really was just was just not good. So I, I'm terrible at maths. It's fine. I'm a dum-dum. I've admitted that. <laughs> Me too, by the way. I suck at maths. And also, I don't like maths because I didn't have a great teacher. If I had a great teacher, someone who was passionate teaching the subject, I promise you, maybe I would have not been here today. Maybe I would be at the hospital doing something. That's how I wanted things to 
be originally I wanted to work in the medicine field and then I couldn't get in because I was not good at mathematics and then I opted for graphic designing so I am someone who loves to work with PowerPoint in my free time that's something I've always done when I was a child and I've noticed well my parents my cousin she noticed that I had a a neck for designing and stuff like that and so I wanted to pursue a career in graphic designing but unfortunately it's very hard to find a graphic design job in South Africa since it is very high in supply and then I was like okay the last resort would be IT I know how to use a computer my father has been teaching me how to use a computer and he has been urging me for a long time to work in IT and be a programmer or something within the IT field and that's what I decided to do I decided to apply at this college and to study IT diploma for three years and so the language I wrote my first line of code in was visual basic it was a simple command prompt it was like asking the user input's name and that was it i was like i was like yay visual basic it's it's very easy i'd say it's a great language for people who are just starting out with programming this is vb.net probably right on windows and visual studio yes vb.net is a really interesting one because there's also c sharp which is like the evolution of vb.net they both can do exactly the same thing they run on the same runtime by microsoft but vb.net is meant to like it doesn't have curly brackets it uses a bit more human language just the way you write to the console for example instead of writing a function you can i think use a built-in keyword or something i forget all the details but it sounds like a really nice entry point into coding actually it is well i didn't actually finish learning the whole programming or the curriculum because i dropped out of college and left the whole syllabus but it was a great way to be introduced into you know creating small applications it's a really straightforward programming language. I don't know what people would use it for these days, but yeah, it's really great. Yeah, I don't think it's a good language to pick up necessarily today. I always recommend people start with JavaScript, actually, because, you know, you can just open your web browser, go into the console, you can just start writing JavaScript. And the web is so fun, right? There are so many things you can do. And I'm sure for someone like yourself, you love creating, whether it's PowerPoints or little console applications, the web is just a blank canvas, right? So many cool opportunities. Why did you drop out of the college course, by the way? And did you go on to like teach yourself other programming concepts? Or was there maybe a story there? Well, I decided to drop out because there was just a lot of things, red flags, if I could say so about that college. And it's surprising to me because it is a private institution and a lot of people actually recommend going to that private institution. First things first, so universities and colleges in South Africa, they open around February, maybe the last two weeks of February. And then with this one, it was like the last day of February, maybe the 28th. And even when it opened, you know, like how colleges have orientation and all that stuff. This one, the orientation, it was not organized. Like there were stalls, but then there were no people. Nobody was helping out and stuff like that. 
for that month, we didn't do anything. It opened really late. And then for the first two weeks, that was before lockdown happened in South Africa. I promise you, I only attended maybe four classes, maybe four, five classes. The programming class, teacher was not there. He was more focusing on second year students, third year students, because they were a priority. They needed help and whatnot. And then for us, they just left us be and they connected the laptops to the internet and then we had to figure out things ourselves go to youtube read what's what's the point of being in college if you just have to teach yourself right it was so expensive i mean i won a buzzery of fifteen thousand rands but the total for my year for that year was i think forty five thousand. Imagine paying this amount of money just so you can experience this at school. It wasn't great. I didn't feel motivated. So this was like a three-year curriculum. How long did you actually stick at it before dropping out? Was it the whole three years or did you drop out sooner? Well, let me say, officially I dropped out 2021, but I dropped out the same year, my first year, May That was when I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. But then I didn't tell my parents about it. I didn't say anything, but mentally I was done (laughs) with that school. Yeah, yeah, you checked out. Yeah, I checked out a long time ago. It was only a matter of telling my parents. Do you know what? I don't blame you at all. And I think if they were invested in your success in the long run, this is absolutely the right thing to do. Because I know you've gone on to do some really cool things as well. Sometimes you have to try something, go in there with the best intentions, but if it's not working and you don't see anything changing, there's no point sticking it out because eventually you're going to end up in the same place. Like whether it was after three months or after three years, you'd just be wasting more time if you delayed it. What did you do next? Did you end up just doing the same stuff, right? Like teaching yourself coding or was there any question in your mind about where to go from there? Well, so I did decide to drop out of that college, but I wasn't sure of the next steps, to be honest with you. My initial thought was to apply to a different institution and to study something shorter. It's ridiculous to think about it because I wanted to be in medicine and medicine is like, what, 10 years, seven years of studying? I don't want to like be 26 by the time I get my first job. I want to move out of my parents' house. So like that was like the motivation. Like, heck, I need to find a job when I'm 18, 19 so I can move out. So my plan was to go to another institution and study. It's a certificate for Microsoft Office. So I was going to study something for administration. That changed around October 2020 when my cousin, she was working on opening up her own hair care business. And so she was saying that she needed someone to design a website for her. So my cousin, she is someone who just doesn't like to hire people she doesn't know. You know, like she has to know you to trust you that, okay, I know you can do this. Can you do this for me? And so she was like, she knows that I love to do designing and all that stuff. And she has seen me do those things. And she was like, I wish you can build a website for me. And I was like, I don't know any of those things. I, I don't know how to do that because when I was in college, we were studying more system designs, operating systems. It was not really anything web development. So I had no idea how to start. And so I was like, okay, let me see. Maybe it's not so hard to build a website. And then I went on to the Google search. I quickly searched, how do you make a website? 
And then Brad Travis's video on HTML crash course, or it was a web development video. I'm not so sure which video it was, but it was Brad Travisy, Travisy Media on YouTube. And I watched that video. I was like, whoa, HTML, it seems so easy. I can do this. And then I started to search more on like, what do I need to know to build a website? And then Free Code Camp popped and I saw the curriculum and it was CSS, HTML, JavaScript. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is interesting. This is nice. So I could definitely say that I didn't continue studying the same thing I was studying in college. This was something completely different. And it's something I liked because web development is, is a combination of design graphic design, web design, and coding. So I just thought it was a perfect thing to do. And I just jumped straight in and started my first course with Free Code Camp. Nice. Did you use Scrimba at some point, by the way? Yes. So Scrimba I discovered in 2021. I'm not sure who introduced it to me. I was asking a question on one of my Twitter posts that I want to learn JavaScript or where are the best resources to learn JavaScript. And someone recommended scrimba.com and I went on scrimba.com I did the JavaScript course and I was like whoa this is a nice way of learning like you edit the video that's something I've never seen any platform do and I must say that learning that way it's like it's a great way of building muscle memory I was just I was in love with the platform and I wished that I discovered Scrimba first. I'm not saying that Free Code Camp is bad, but Scrimba.com is really nice because you actually code along while you're watching the tutorial and you remember things much better than when you're just reading and doing the exercise after because you can read and not do the exercise afterwards. I mean, you can do the same thing with Scrimba, but I don't know. I don't know. But Scrimba is just much better. Yeah, you just be like cheating yourself a little bit if you don't actually get your hands on the keyboard, I feel like. Yeah. Coming up, how Trisha fought her social anxiety on Twitter and eventually landed her first gig over Twitter as well. I wouldn't mind someone sending me a DM, but I just don't want to disturb someone else. Also, what's a developer advocate and can a junior be one? Stay tuned. I will be right back with Trisha in just a second, but first, episode 101 can you believe it 101 episodes of the scrimba podcast i think about 70 or 80 in a row thank you so much for listening now it is of course really important that if you enjoy the show you share it with your friends far and wide because that helps us reach new listeners ultimately get bigger guests and keep doing what we're doing but we also want to involve the community a bit more in this show as well. So Jan, the producer, and I have been having a little think about how to do that. Jan, what do we have in store, mate? In short, tell us what you think. We will both listen to you and feature you on the show. Well, both Alex and I have a lot of ideas for the future of the show, and I'm not going to tell you what they are, because a lot of stuff still depends on you. For example, I think our shows are going to be getting shorter, because Alex did a poll on Twitter recently, and 45.1% of you thinks that around 30 minutes is the sweet spot. Let's see what else are people saying. Tofu Slasher from United States left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts saying, 
Great podcasts for devs of all skill levels. They interview people across the whole range of career experiences and areas of interest and provide practical stories from the industry. Thank you. Curly True from Australia left us another five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wrote, Great motivation. This has been a great podcast that keeps my motivation up as a learner developer. Keep it up. Awesome. It's so great to hear that. Keep it up, we will. It's also really great to see when you share nuggets of wisdom from the podcast on Twitter. For example, Alvaro Fierro tweeted, It doesn't matter how long it takes you to finish, as long as you finish. A very important lesson that I learned today with the Scrimba podcast. Or here's Benny Joes tweeting, Just heard this on the Scrimba podcast. If you feel like quitting your coding journey because things are getting tough, just remember that if you met your past self, they're probably wishing to be where you are right now. So, if you have any feedback for us, or if you just want to tell us that we're doing a great job, which also helps, you can leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can tweet at us. And now, we're back to the interview with Trisha. What kind of challenges did you face when teaching yourself how to code? I like to learn a lot of things at the same time. That was the first challenge. I was on Tech Twitter a lot. This is how I got all these resources and advices from people who were like, you know, giving advice to newbies or people interested in wanting to to code. So I saw these tweets of people saying, you can be a web developer in 30 days, in three months, or I got a job after, you know, three months studying as a software engineer or something. And so I, I wanted to be those people. There was even like this timeline like you can learn html in three days you can learn css in 12 days javascript in 60 days node in one week right (laughs) all those things and so like i i pressurized myself to like okay in one day i'm going to learn javascript one hour css one hour Node.js, one hour. Is that how you did it, really? Yes, it is. And I guess there was a point in my life I was like, you know what? I don't think being a web developer is worth it because like, I have to know a lot of things. So my mind was just overwhelmed by how much I needed to know. And I tried to cram all those things into three months. And so that was the first problem. I wouldn't say that was a challenge, but it was a problem. I wanted to learn a lot of things at the same time. Totally. I mean, that that is a big challenge, sort of knowing what to learn in what order. And another one, now you mentioned that I think it's worth doubling down on, is avoiding being influenced by these really fast success stories that aren't that realistic. I think when you're a new developer or you're a bit younger learning something in depth for the first time you see this and you think that's how long it takes but it's only after trying and failing for a bit you realize that you'll go a lot faster if you go slower if that makes sense okay i'm not saying that everyone who's on tech tita is not a good developer but at the same time, not everyone who's a developer on Twitter is legit because some people might be misleading. <laughs> I am someone who's afraid of approaching people. You have to approach me, not the other way around. I couldn't even ask for help like to, to DM someone who I thought that, okay, I, I think he knows what he's doing. I think his advice would help me so much on what to do, what to study and all that stuff. So I guess like social anxiety, it limited me into creating 
creating connections earlier on so I could know which pathway I should follow in order to avoid all these unrealistic successes. You mentioned tech Twitter a few times and obviously that's a really big part of your journey. I actually noticed you have something like, what is it, like almost 40,000 followers on Twitter. That's really impressive, by the way. How has Twitter and the tech community played a role in your journey learning to code? And why do you think it is that so many people have followed you? Okay, why people follow me? I have the same question. If you're listening to this and you follow Trisha KS, like, please <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I think your tweets are funny, by the way. I reckon that's that's one reason. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, you know, like when you're bored sometimes and you think of these stupid things and you're like, huh, let me just post it and see how people would. <laughs> no, no, I don't think like that. I think you're funnier than me. I think what was one I saw earlier, like it was a tweet and it said something like, if you feel like you're in the dark with CS, try turning light mode on <laughs> actually what inspired me to write that post was you know like debugging css it's like you suddenly lose your eyesight you can't see anything you're doing it was like inspired by that moment i was like debugging my css and i was like i don't see anything should i switch from dark mode to light mode then I can find these bugs quicker. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Apart from sending out these tweets, were you taking advantage, do you think, of the community? I would say that I am where I am because of the tech tutor community, but most specifically because of the connections I made. I'm glad that the people who approached me approached me because like I've mentioned, I, I'm someone who does not approach people. I, I'm afraid of people. And so the community has helped me so much. After I discovered the Free Code Camp course, because that's what I started with, I also went on to Twitter to search like who are people I can follow, who are developers, web developers and stuff like that. And then I stumbled across a post of this one person posting their 100 days of code challenge. And I clicked on that hashtag to see what this 100 days of code is. And so when I saw a lot of people sharing their progress, what they're learning and all that stuff, I also like wanted to join this challenge, which I thought it was a great way of me into starting my tech journey. So with day one, I was like 100 days of code. Day one, learning HTML. Once I joined 100 Days of Code, I also discovered other people who had the same challenges as me, people who were first time beginners as well. And I started to comment on other people's posts, like to ask them questions, like how did they solve this and this question? And that's how the networking started to happen. So I commented a lot on people's posts that I found inspiring, or maybe I wanted to know more. And somehow the conversation moved to DMs and from DMs to coffee chats, from coffee chats to, you know, meeting other people people who are in the similar journey as you. And that's how I joined a lot of communities and known people and stuff like that. And so it has had a huge impact on my journey for sure. These kind of habits around responding to people and you recognizing opportunities to continue a conversation and DMs and even grab coffee, did it all come quite naturally or was it a really conscious effort from yourself? It definitely did not come naturally. I 
had to work on it. I have like the biggest social anxiety. You can ask anybody. Like if my mom tells me that I bought the wrong Coke or like drink, I have to return it. Like I, I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> I get so freaked out. <laughs> I don't do it. It took me such a long time. It took effort. It took everything to say, okay, if I want to be successful, if I want to be somewhere, maybe I have a goal. If I want to be here in three years, then I have to do this now. So I, I had to push myself. I had to like set a challenge to say, okay, for this month, I must at least have one coffee chat and go through with it and not send emails with, you know, excuses like, oh, I'm, I'm, something came up or like... My camera's broke. That's what I used to do. It was so difficult, man. Like, I don't like phone calls. I don't like video calls. Like, they scare me so much. They intimidate me so much. Wow, I feel so bad for dragging you on a podcast now, Tracia. No, you know what? I'm actually getting used to it, which I'm I'm happy about. I'm really happy with where I am today. I mean, here I am. I am talking on scrimba.com and I'm not afraid at all. And it also helped with Twitter spaces because... I mean, even with the Twitter spaces, I was like, I would see someone sending, you know, like someone invited you to speak. I would like leave and then be like, oh, no, I couldn't accept because, you know, internet issues and all that stuff. It was a lie. It was a lie. It's just that my anxiety got the better of me. So the steps I took to actually combat this, I mean, I still have it, but it's much better, to be honest. It's a case of, you know, you're getting used to it. I'm getting used to it. I'm glad I'm getting used to it. So the first step I took to actually come out of my comfort zone was to make small goals like for this week, make sure that you at least connect with someone from the community and not just randomly connecting with someone like it has to be someone that I've seen pop up on my timeline multiple times and then have that courage to like, okay, let me comment on something and start a conversation with this person. That was like... The goal, like, okay, comment on someone's post and then compliment someone next week, like send a DM. Like, I, I don't like sending DMs. I feel like I'm disturbing your peace. That's such a typical thing, by the way, because like if you if you don't like people disturbing your peace, like if you're a bit socially anxious and those interactions catch you off guard or whatever, you probably get this feeling you might be interrupting them. But then obviously they don't mind at all because they are totally different people who think about it differently. And that's the funny thing. Like I wouldn't mind someone sending me a DM, but I just don't want to disturb someone else. So I was like setting myself small goals. And if I didn't do it for the week, then I was like, okay, you know, it takes time. It's not going to like magically happen like that. And so I was patient with myself and continuing with those goals. And eventually those goals turned from commenting to DMs to Finally having a one coffee chat and, you know, continuing with starting the process over again with other people that I found interesting and I saw that I shared similar goals with them. It was definitely hard work. I mean, it's still a thing. I still have those temptations of like, maybe I should like cancel, but I go through with it and it's been, it's been a rewarding thing, honestly. So staying out of your comfort zone is more rewarding than just sitting back and be like, things will work out for me. Sometimes you have to like move, you know, you have to do it yourself to see the results and it pays off. Did all this socializing and networking eventually help you get your first opportunities to, you know, work and get paid to code essentially? Yes, I, I would definitely say so because the first 
freelance gig. And this freelance gig, it's not like I was looking for a job because I was still learning. And so I didn't feel like I know enough to apply for a job. And so I connected with Zoe and Zoe knew someone and then that someone messaged me. So that person who messaged me with this gig was Dan Hampton. And so Dan Hampton got the referral from Zoe that I would be open to this position because she was busy at that time. If I didn't know Zoe, I would have never got that job. I would have never known what the remote work was. And so it is really beneficial that you network with people because you never know. I mean, Zoe was not a hiring manager, but someone came to her with a job opportunity and she directed it to me. It just shows how much networking really helps in this situation. And then later on, you got an internship at Strappy, which is a pretty cool company. How did that happen? That happened last year. I stumbled across, I think, Pratam. So Pratam, she's a developer advocate. I mean, she's a developer advocate for developer advocacy herself because like, that's how I discovered about developer relations and developer advocates and all this. Funnily enough, she's been on the Scrimba YouTube live stream with Leanne. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if people want to learn from her. Yes, yes, definitely. She's like amazing. She's she's the best person I connected with. And also, I think it was a time, there was a time on Twitter when DevRel was trending. Like everybody was talking about DevRel. What is DevRel? What do people do? Like, what is this? Is this marketing? Is this engineering? Yeah, good question. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> For people listening who maybe want to learn a bit more about this kind of career path, tell us a little bit. Okay, so I am terrible with definitions. But the best definition I can give you for developer relations is it has to do with building relationships with developer communities and forming partnerships with external companies. And it's about helping developers who use your product to acquire skills. Oh, like I said, I'm terrible with definitions, people. I think you're on the absolute right track, though. Like if you're a company that has an API, probably other developers need some help getting started. They need awesome docs. They need tutorials. They could really benefit from YouTube videos, for example. And if the company's a bit bigger, maybe a DevRel will go to conferences and, you know, advocate for the brand a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for throwing that in. <laughs> Developer relations is all about building communities, developer communities and helping that developer community be successful using that product that you are representing for the company you're working for. So that whole field is basically just, you know, making sure that the user experience is great, that you're getting the best documentation. If you're stuck on problems, then the DevRel team is there to help you out. Uh, the DevRel team is to bring awareness to the product that you are using and to create content on how you can best develop projects or anything using that project. And so the word itself, relations, tells you that it's all about relationship building, maintaining those relationships and helping the people who use your product be successful in it. Up next, what was it like being a developer advocate intern? Your attempt to self-sabotage fail. It failed successfully. <laughs> but first, the Scrimba podcast is a weekly show. That means there's a new episode every Tuesday and you should subscribe to the podcast to make sure not to miss it. Next week on the podcast, we'll have Matt Billman, one of the founders and CEO of Netlify. 
I'll date myself a little bit here, but when I was a kid, there was not a lot of like a concept of being a software developer. It was pretty early in a lot of these things. I got a Commodore 64 when I was like 10 years old or so, and just immediately got hooked on the basic magic of it, right? Like this thing that you could write something that you could then interact with, or you could write something that would make stuff happen on a screen, right? Like it was as if you had somehow control over some magical virtual universe, right? A lot of my family at the time were really worried. Oh, this kid is spending so much time inside with a computer. What's going to become of him? Matt Billman from Netlify next week on the Scramble podcast. And now we're back to the interview with Trisha. I guess a big part of a role like that is getting the attention of developers, right? Maybe you have this API product, you want as many developers to use and like and know about it as possible. And you're pretty good at getting people's attention, right? I mean, you have 40k followers on Twitter, that says it all really. So I can totally see where this opportunity came from. But at the same time, I know that during this internship, it was about six months, I think you told me before we started recording, you decided in the end that developer relations isn't the thing you necessarily want to focus on compared to just strict development. Because developer relations is like, I would say 30, 40% coding. It depends a bit on the company. And then the rest is going to be engaging with the community, building those relationships, like you say, and creating content. What did you learn during that internship and what played into your decision ultimately to now pursue something that's more development focused as opposed to a split? Okay, so my internship at Strapi was for six months. So I started last year, July, July 18. What I learned there was firstly, how to work with a team. So I've always been solo And so I now know how it is to work within a team, how to collaborate with team members and basically like working in a company because I've never worked for like an actual company and, and, you know, have a stable salary and all that stuff. The second thing was community management, like thinking of the best ways, like how we can manage the Strapi community, like what does the community need? What does the community struggle with concerning Strapi? And we take those concerns and then we make sure that the content we release is focusing on those issues that the community is facing. I learned more about community management and how to think for the community, making sure that their needs are listened to and we also respond to those needs by releasing the correct tutorials or correct articles to help them succeed using Strapi. And another thing was I spoke at Next.js. That was like, that was like my first conference, my first speaking. I saw that YouTube video, by the way. We'll put it in the show notes as well so people can check it out. I, I don't like to watch myself. I don't like to listen to myself. But anyway, it was like opening so many doors for me because I never thought that Next.js would accept my CFP. And also shout out to my manager, my teammate, Daniel. So Daniel is the one who actually hired me. He's the one who sought me out on Twitter and gave me my internship at Strapi. And so if it wasn't for him saying, you know what, it's it's not about experience. It's about what you learned and what you would like to share with other people as well. So yeah, like go ahead, like send out your CFP. And to be honest with you, 
you, I never thought it would be accepted because I wrote that CFP in a way that I hoped it would not get accepted. So when I saw my email, like your CFP has been accepted for next year. So I was like, what? Really? <laughs> Is that right? Your attempt to self-sabotage failed. It failed successfully. <laughs> it sounds like you were having a great time. What did you not like about developer relations, I guess? No, it's not that I didn't like anything. I love developer relations. Okay, it's weird. I just said that I don't like approaching people. I don't talk to people. I don't do anything with people. But as a developer relations, it is very important that you are a people person because you are going to be engaging a lot with the community. You're going to be making the initiatives and and all that stuff. And so I can be social professionally, but personally, I'm not a social person. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense. More than you know. So I enjoyed working as a developer relations intern, developer advocate intern. I loved what I did. I loved bringing awareness to Strapi. I loved creating content, uh, engaging with the community, creating video tutorials. The thing that made me leave developer relations was that I am not really confident with my programming skills. So I have like a short experience with being a front end developer. And I feel that, I mean, like this is my personal uh, opinion. So I feel like being a developer advocate, you have to fully know the pain points that the community goes through. And so to know those pain points, you must have been a developer yourself. You know how irritating it is to build an API from scratch. And so what solutions, what relief does Strapi provide to developers who who just don't like to build APIs from scratch? I don't have those experiences. I don't have those pain points because I'm also new. I don't know a lot of things. I'm just starting out with my tech journey. And I could have been a developer advocate and at the same time studied and and did a course on the side on, you know, improving my front end skills and, and all that stuff. But I just think it would be best if I just, you know, work in an engineering team and gain more experience building websites and learning concepts, having more experience to gain more experience as a front-end developer and to understand concepts deeply and to see what these softwares like Strapi, like Sanity and maybe Superbase, like what kind of pain points do they solve for developers? And then once I can also maybe reach that stage when I'm comfortable enough with my skills, then I will go back to developer relations. No, totally. But now you can invest all your time into becoming the best developer you can be. That's going to give you such a strong foundation to do whatever you want to do next. And yeah, I can totally see you coming back into the world of DevRel at some point. That can make a lot of sense. Really glad we got to speak about this a little bit because I do think it's a really cool career path that new developers can choose if they enjoy the community aspect and enjoy engaging with other developers, creating content and, and all that kind of stuff. We're almost out of time, unfortunately, but I did want to ask you before we go, what is your advice to anyone learning to code at the moment or maybe looking for their first junior developer job? What can we leave them with before wrapping up the episode? The advice I wish I would have received when I was starting out was don't compare yourself. You don't know someone else's journey. Like someone's journey might have started like three years ago and that's why they got the job quicker. 
but yours just started now. So it's going to take some time. So I would say my advice is like focus on yourself. Don't compare yourself with other people. It will only ruin your self-esteem. And also get out of your comfort zone. Honestly, the best things came to me because I decided to leave that little bubble that I was in. And it has opened me up to a lot of opportunities, a lot of great connections. And so make sure that you you set goals and you break them because they're going to to help you so much to to see where you've come from. And so, yeah, just break out of your comfort zone. Don't compare yourself and enjoy the journey. If you need help, then don't be afraid to approach people. Don't be like me. Approach people, ask for help. You'll find that the person you're asking help for is going to be your best friend for all eternity to come because I've made friends with such amazing people. Yeah, that's my advice. Trisha Katz, thank you so much for joining me on the Scrimba podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. And yeah, man, it's it's so it's so unreal. I'm on Scrimba. So hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to me. <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks. And if you would like to learn even more about developer relations, back in the summer of 2021, we did a show with Phil Legator. He is a head of developer experience, and he believes that the demand for talented developer relations people has never been greater. In fact, many of the hires that we made were not from people that had had experience working in developer relations directly. What we looked for was somebody that cared and demonstrated that care for technical communities. I'm linking this episode in the show notes. This was the Scrimba Podcast episode 101. If you liked it, please subscribe. You can find the Scrimba Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you're feeling extra supportive, please leave us a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice. And if you've learned something from the show or you think there's something we should change, don't be shy to tweet about it. You can find Alex's Twitter handle in the show notes, where you will also find different ways you can connect with Trisha. I've been Jan, the producer, and we'll be back next Tuesday. Tuesday.